One of the things I've noticed the most has been the most powerful thing is the fact that when they come in, they're in the safe space, it's completely private, and they can completely be and do whatever they want. I do have boundaries, but our boundaries is that you keep yourself safe, me safe, and the toys safe. Pretty much anything else goes. And so when in our life do we ever get that opportunity? And that in itself is so healing. Welcome to the School Behaviour Secrets Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Corrigan. My co-host is Emma Shackleton, and we're obsessed with helping teachers, school leaders, parents, and of course, students when classroom behaviour gets in the way of success. We're going to share the tried and tested secrets to classroom management, behavioural special needs, whole school strategy, and more, all with the aim of helping your students reach their true potential. Plus, we'll be letting you eavesdrop on our conversations with thought leaders from a around the world so you'll get to hear the latest evidence-based strategies before anyone else this is the school behavior secrets podcast hi there my name's simon corrigan and welcome to another fresh and tasty episode of school behavior secrets h jackson brown once said nothing is more expensive than a missed opportunity in which case i like to think this podcast is worth a king's ransom in gold and diamonds I'm joined today by my ever-valuable co-host, Emma Shackleton. Hi, Emma. Hi, Simon. That was your opportunity to say ever sparkly. And I missed it, didn't I? (laughs) Go on, go ahead. Before we get to the focus of today's episode, I want to ask you a question. Go on then. Okay, according to a recent UK poll, what percentage of people think being able to articulate yourself is an advantage in life over someone who can't? Oh, this has got to be high, right? I mean, if you can articulate well, that means that you can get your point across to others and be understood. You can ask for what you need. You can express yourself without frustration. I'd say the percentage of people that think being able to articulate yourself well is an advantage has got to be like 80%. Yeah, 80%. Instincts are good. It is a high number. It's even higher than that. So if you add up all the positive answers... 89% of people think being able to articulate yourself well gives you an advantage in life. And only 2% thought it didn't, but they weren't able to say why. (laughs) Boom, boom. (laughs) And that poll was on YouGov if you want to find out more. Okay, so what's the relevance to today's episode? Well, being able to talk through your worries and emotions is a key part of emotional regulation. But many kids find it difficult to open up to adults. And in this week's episode, we're sharing my conversation with Juliette Miller, who uses play therapy to build relationships with kids and communicate with them. And in the interview, Juliette explains what play therapy is and its power to help reach those kids, understand their needs and support their emotional development. Perfect. But before we share that interview, I'd just like to ask one thing. If you've been enjoying the podcast or you find the contents valuable, please can you open up your podcast app and leave us a rating and review. When you do this, it tells the algorithm to share the podcast with more people to show it in their recommendations on their podcast feed, which in turn helps to grow the show and helps more teachers, school leaders and parents. So now let's listen in to Simon's conversation with Juliet Miller. I'm really excited to welcome our guest, Juliet Miller, to the show today. Juliet was always interested in the pastoral angle and meeting the SMH needs of her pupils throughout her teaching career. After 16 years as a primary school teacher in Manchester in the UK, Juliet retrained as a play therapist with PT UK, 
She continues to work in schools, offering play therapy alongside support for families and staff. Her message is that play should not be underestimated and can be a powerful tool to help build connections and work through challenges. Juliet, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. Juliet, my first question really is what prompted you, what led you to leave the teaching profession and retrain as a play therapist? Well, as you've already mentioned, I've always been interested in that pastoral SEMH role. I actually entered the teaching profession not thinking I'd stay in mainstream very long, but actually I started working at the school I was working at and just loved working for the community I was in. And I was given lots of opportunities to support the pastoral side of things. And then I did, I got to about year 14 and I just found that I was craving more of the chats with the parents and connections with children, maybe out of the classroom than I was the day-to-day teaching. And I hadn't ever heard of play therapy before, but weirdly, as these things sometimes happen, on my social media, someone must have liked a page and it was someone's play therapy page. And I looked into that and then started to delve a bit deeper and find out a bit more about that. And that thought, actually, that sounds perfect for me and at the right time. So that's what I did. I did a bit more research and I found training. And I would say this, be careful if anyone else is looking this way. Make sure they are an accredited company because that's what they say. It's play therapy and it might not be play therapy. With PTUK, they offered a course that's with the university so I could get a postgraduate qualification And I could still teach and work flexibly over a few years. It took me four years to get both done before I was completely qualified to stop teaching and start play therapy. When you started the play therapy, how did you find the jump? Oh my goodness. It actually jumped straight into what I really wanted to say today. As teachers, and even when you start training, we're always so, so critical and necessary. I suppose in education, every lesson you consider, you evaluate, you see how you do it differently. Always learning. There's a staff inset every week. There's always then just when you get your head around something, the government might bring something else in and a whole different way of doing it. So you always have that critical thinking through every lesson. And so when I started play therapy, I really noticed how much I could actually trust what I have inside as a person and my life experience and the connections I've always had with children that just seem to be a bit more natural. And yes, I love to learn. I love finding out more. Absolutely, that's really important. But simplicity can be super powerful as well. So I think one thing we should cover, precisely what is play therapy and what are its goals? So play therapy pretty much is what it says in the tin. Play is a child's natural way of exploring the world, processing what's going on in their life, experimenting, connecting. So it seems to be a natural given really that that would work well as a therapy. I work mainly with primary age children. I do have colleagues who work with older children. It can even work. I've even had sessions of creative arts therapy myself. It can even work with adults, but that nature of play is just a very natural way of of having therapy for a child. Communication doesn't have to be verbal, so it's a more gentle approach. What are the goals of play therapy? I suppose to help children process whatever their need is. It can help them process that through play. So the way that play therapy works, the way that I'm trained, is I use what we call an integrative, holistic approach. And that means, well, I have a set toolkit within the way I do play therapy. So I have set tools there. So sand, clay, art materials, music, there's lots of miniatures, 
I'm probably going to forget some, lots of games. <laughs> and a child can play with any of those things and have their needs met. So it's just a way to meet a child's need through specific play that they use. We can work in the unconscious part of the brain as much as the conscious part of the brain. And it will be either non-directive, which means the child takes the lead, which is majority of what I do, as well as some directed tasks as well. So if I put a camera on the wall during a play therapy session, what would it look like? What sort of things would I see? What would I hear? Can you help me imagine what a play therapy session sort of looks like, what it contains? Okay, well, I'll start with the things that tend to be like the non-negotiables. So I will have a space and, and so it's a confidential space. So blinds will be down, the door will be closed with a polite notice on asking not to be disturbed so that the child can feel that they can trust the adult. My sessions are about 40 minutes long. Confidentiality isn't just about the space I share. They can share whatever they like and I will hold that confidential. Like I've just mentioned before, there's set things I have out in the room. So the toys are set out with this toolkit. So lots of different types of play material. So children can choose what they want to do. And most of the time, the child is taking the lead. That's the aim, really, because I'm not here to rescue. It's really important for a child to, I wouldn't even say rescue themselves, but understand themselves more, understand what they've been going through. So you've got your range of toys and activities out. Is the therapy part the playing side, or is it more about the discussion that you're having and the talk that you're having backwards and forwards with the child, or is it all of it? So, yeah, I think a bit of everything. So... The reflections I do is my role. So what the child is choosing to do, that communication, I reflect back to them. So if it is verbal, I might say some of the things that they're saying. So if it's not verbal, and that is often the case, I am still reflecting. If they're dancing, I'm dancing with them. If they are drawing, I'm drawing with them. So everything they're doing, I'm doing with them. But then I have been trained also, if they are working in their unconscious, I'm looking out for the metaphors that they might be using and hypothesize what that might mean. Could you give me an example of that? Still confidential, but I had a client who completely worked in the unconscious and I believe really healed in the unconscious. And I noticed that he would use this set dinosaur and this set other figure, that Spider-Man figure, a lot in his play. Now, I knew his background. I knew the trauma he'd experienced. And even though he never shared that verbally with me, I felt that he was playing out some of those situations in his play. Now, this took weeks, but I could see him healing and working through that. So what I would do is I'm trained to use some gentle questioning or some wonderings as to what might be happening. I wouldn't put the words in his mouth, but I might just start to bring to attention, oh, you've used that dinosaur before different things and he'll either go with it and it might come into his conscious or he's not ready for that and it stays in his unconscious and he ended up working completely in his unconscious and it was amazing to see the process he went through and actually as one of our last sessions he said to me oh do you know I really love coming here because when I'm here the toys talk and I just thought that's actually a really good strap line for play therapy. The toys do the talking. Like you don't have to be the one that does the talking. <laughs> and he didn't even seem to be aware that he wasn't doing the talking, I don't think. But it can do that. Play therapy can offer offer that for children working at different points. And the brain's really clever. It won't go to that conscious level if it doesn't feel that you're ready for it. So when he's working on that unconscious level, if do I understand it correctly that the, the dinosaur and the Spider-Man, they might represent people from his life he's not thinking about it he's not thinking that's my uncle and that's my cousin 
he's kind of using them more generally and he's kind of working out situations between those figures in his life is that the kind of yeah that's it really yes a situation where there might have been a conversation that had happened or you knew a situation that happened and it's acted out with characters and you think oh i wonder who that is so during the sessions what do the children get from play therapy and how does this process of using the figures and using the activities and having those discussions help them get to those outcomes? One of the things I've noticed the most has been the most powerful thing. And again, I'm going back to the simplicity of it, is the fact that when they come in, they're in the safe space, it's completely private, and they can completely be and do whatever they want. I do have boundaries, but our boundaries are is that you keep yourself safe, me safe, and the toys safe pretty much anything else goes. And so when in our life do we ever get that opportunity? And that in itself is so healing. I think even for my own children, you know, as a baby, even from day one, we probably started a routine with them or thinking in that way. There's always structure. There's always some pressure or some process you have to follow as adults as well. And I've tried it out since being a play therapist. When I feel like like life's a little bit overwhelming, if I can, and I've got a spare half a day, or I'll put myself some time away. I'll do something by myself and just follow my own lead and see what happens. And so, and I can see how much that helps me. So I really think that in itself is a huge helpful thing in play therapy, just having that empowerment. It sounds like play therapy is a great way to build relationships with pupils who have social, emotional, mental health needs. Why is that? Well, I think a lot of the barriers that we have in life don't need to be there. So the fact that you don't have to talk, the fact that you can go at your pace, I will follow your pace, you can be here however you want to be and I am here to accept you, that must be such a relief for so many people. And then from that, once that trust is there and that you know you can be what you want to be, slowly things do start to come out. Like sometimes I feel Am I ever going to get anywhere further than just making the same thing out of play every week? Is this going to progress? Am I doing enough? The teacher in me wants to start directing things and putting things in. But just trusting that process is huge. And I do, I waver all the time. But then just when you think, oh, I'll add something else in. And I can, I am trained to add more direct work in. They'll share something. And I think, oh, thank goodness I didn't add that in and try and rescue them out of this because they just needed that time to be accepted that that's what they needed to do. And now now they're ready to share. It sounds like the relationship kind of comes first. Absolutely. And then the healing happens afterwards as a result of the therapy. Yeah. Well, if you think about it as an adult, and I know if I've had difficulties, I'm not just going to go up to someone and share my issues with them. Like that's very uncomfortable. And even as I'm gaining confidence and have more trust in the world and have a well-balanced life, that's still uncomfortable. So putting yourself in a person's situation who has SEMH difficulties for whatever reason or trauma in their life, a lack of trust of adults maybe or people or not knowing who to trust or just learning all these things, you can't expect people to just share and take your advice relationships everything really it's so powerful isn't it and and it really needs to come at their pace to be successful I feel are there any specific strategies or techniques from play therapy that teachers can integrate into their classroom obviously they can't sit and have that one-to-one time for 40 minutes which is so powerful 
But are there little things, little strategies that they can use to start building those relationships and supporting kids with their emotions? Yeah, I think there are a few little bits and pieces that I have to say when I started training, I did also bring into the classroom. So the first thing I remember when I trained was a really simple one. If you are having those conversations with children, which might be a bit difficult, or you're trying to make those connections, you don't need to be face to face. That can actually be a barrier in itself to have to give eye contact or to have your face on show, especially when you're trying to maybe hide some of those big feelings that you don't know whether you can trust that person to share yet. So actually having a conversation side by side is little, but can make a huge difference. If I think about the amount of conversations that my own children will have with me in the car when I'm driving, they always seem to save those awkward conversations when you're concentrating on driving. But I get it. I think it is that not having to be facing you when you're doing it and actually it takes a bit of the pressure away yeah so side by side is a good tip that anyone can do and doesn't take any extra time another thing I'd say I know some teachers have maybe a calm kit or a regulation kit in their classroom to help children when they're overwhelmed and I do like that if you have drawing materials just going to be keeping it simple today plain paper crayons pens that's really good. And just a bank of really good calming breathing techniques is is helpful, but you have to be able to commit a little bit of time to teaching this. When I was doing both, when I was teaching and play therapy, I used these things and, and really taught these things so that when you have those transitions, like you're getting up from the carpet onto the table, you're lining up for lunch, you can just stop and do five mindful breaths. And there's lots of fun ones. When I have trained some teachers to do it, some people have really gone for it. And I can really see how that is making a difference in their classroom. And once you've taught it, even though it takes time to start with, once it's taught and you know your class, it's done. So they're going to be able to do that by themselves. But there were teachers that didn't find the time. And you can see, because there's plenty you can find online and just press play. Everyone was watching one on the screen. And yeah, they're doing it, but they're not going to get as much from it and it's actually the relationship building that we are in it together that your teacher finds overwhelming moments as much as you find overwhelming moments that honesty about it is what makes the difference so I would always say that teachers don't have time if you wanted to make something like that successful you do need to just spend little snippets of time practicing a bit of breathing if you need to yeah show those things that's what I would suggest and I think the biggest tip I would give on my keeping it simple way is and this is something I have noticed more since I've been doing the play therapy I am lucky that I get to have lunch with the kids so when I'm ready for lunch and it's their lunchtime whoever wants to piles in and I have learned so much from that and don't want to do myself a disservice as a play therapist because it's very different but the amount that children share and I've learned safeguarding or just needing to have those conversations it's been super powerful now I know that teachers really don't have time for lunch but if you ever have you know you've got PPA that afternoon or the sports coach is in or something like that where you know you might just have that little window and you feel that you are able to grabbing lunch with the kids can be really helpful getting that kid to help you sharpen the pencils at playtime while you're getting ready because you know they need those conversations that's really helpful. I know you've got to be realistic with your time, but if you can plan it, work it out, that's great. If you're finding it too stressful, don't do it at all because they will pick up on that. Do you know that's so powerful? When I think about the children that I've taught, it's those 15, 20 second conversations walking down the corridor 
where you really form connections. It's not a formal sit-down chat, tell me about how your life's going, but it's just those moments of connection between lessons on the transition from the classroom to the playground when you pick kids up or you bump into them at lunchtime, like you say, that are so powerful and they remember them, don't they? I think so. And also you can't be expected to jump in and have those hard conversations with the kids. What's going on? I know something's wrong. Unless you've already had those informal chats, like you're saying, so that they can know that they can trust you and they can have a bit of a banter with you, you know, or they get you a bit more as a human. You know, kids can smack a bit of insincerity a mile off. They need to to know that you're real before they're going to jump in. And I just want to circle back a moment to one thing that you said earlier that I think is really worth unpacking and is, is valuable to reflect on right now. It's that children get something different from a human-to-human connection compared to what they get from watching a video on a whiteboard or a screen or a tablet. What do you think is so powerful about that human-to-human connection? I feel like, especially since I've retrained, I'm amazed at how much you can get from that connection. So actually a huge part of my job is about being so attuned to the client. And we write down on our notes like how we felt in the session because the transference between their feelings to our feelings can be huge. If all of a sudden you're really feeling their sadness or you're really feeling their excitement, I then need to unpick that further and make sure where that's come from. And vice versa, I have to check if there's any counter-transference. What am I transferring to the child as well? In our training, we have to be really careful and we ha- I have supervision, which is amazing. I wish everyone had the opportunity for it that works well works with anyone, I suppose. But I have like a little picture in my head where I just try and leave all the stuff from my head in what I like a hanging basket outside. I visualize it so that when I'm with the child, I'm fully there for them. But we're human and sometimes they might bring something that triggers something in us. So we have to just be aware of that. But it's, oh, it's amazing how powerful being together is. It's, it's amazing. I get the opportunity to watch lots of adults working with lots of children every day of the week. And when you watch them carefully, there is that reflection physically and in terms of body language and eye movement and facial expression yeah, between the child and the adult that goes backwards and forwards that you just don't get from a, a video. It's, it's, Absolutely. A video is a brick wall, isn't it? It, it is what it is. It's not going to respond to you or show empathy to you as an individual. It's been absolutely fascinating so far. If you're a teacher listening to this podcast, what's the first step you can take today to learn more about using play to help you form better relationships with students? Um, going back to simplicity again, keep it simple. I always have a few things I just carry in my bag. So even if I'm picking up a child and I have a couple of minutes, I can do. So a few good games to have in your bag. Uno, double. I've learned a poppet game. You know how if all the kids, well, they're probably getting over it now with the poppets that you know that you push in. But we played a game where you take interns to push a certain amount in and you don't want to be the one that's last, that's got the last one. I would just take that as I pick up a child. And we've already had like three rounds before I've even got to my room. So I just think have a few simple games that you can just whip out that only take a couple of minutes because it's easier to find that time than something really elaborate. I don't want a big resource. I don't want to, to take you to a certain website, but it's nice to be playful. Those barriers just come down. You don't have to be so teacher. You naturally banter a bit, I find, after time. And so that would be something I would recommend everyone to have. Absolutely perfect and practical and practical. Juliet, finally, we ask this of all of our guests, who is the key figure 
or the key book that you've read that's influenced the way that you work with children? I change my mind all the time. So I'm just going to go with the latest one that makes me just go, oh, wow. And it is uh, a play therapist called Dr. Joyce Mills, who's not just a play therapist. She is a storyteller is her main thing. She's a trauma specialist. She's created her own path of play therapy called Story Play. She's an amazing woman. Um, and in her life, she's traveled all over the world and visited lots of tribes and various communities and listened to their stories. And I've listened to her recently on a play therapy podcast that I love and just hearing her voice and just storytelling, just listening to stories just captures me and listening to the stories because I love the metaphors and that anything can really mean anything. And I've shared her stories with my clients and then we've made something creative, like whether that's a dance or with play or whatever from her stories and connection. Like I said, it doesn't have to be verbal, but listening to a story and then connecting and playing through it is wonderful. It's how I get to spend my day. It's amazing. So I feel like that at the moment is the person that I'm just loving. I think that's the perfect note on which to end our interview. Julia, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. You've shared so much practical knowledge, insight and information about play therapy. Um, I just really wanted to thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. I really felt like I learned a lot there about how something as simple as play can be used effectively to support children's emotional development. That interview was so full of practical advice. Yeah, she was a pleasure to speak to. And if you're working with kids who present behaviours that you find challenging or difficult to manage in the classroom, and you're not sure why they're acting that way, and you'd like to dig into the root cause of that behaviour, we've got a download that just might help. It's called the SEND Handbook, and it will help you to link behaviours that you're seeing with possible underlying causes such as trauma, autism and ADHD. The idea here isn't for teachers to try and make a diagnosis because we're simply not qualified to do that. But if we can link the behaviours we're seeing in the classroom to possible underlying causes quickly, it means we can get the right help and the right early intervention strategies in place and call on the right external professionals for their support too. And the handbook comes with a set of fact sheets for conditions such as oppositional defiant disorder, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and developmental language delay. The handbook is a completely free download. Go over to our website beaconschoolsupport.co.uk, click on the free resources tab and you'll see the resource near the top of the page. And don't worry, we'll also put a link in the episode description. And if you found today's episode helpful or valuable, then open up your podcast now and hit the subscribe button so you never miss another episode. Subscribing takes just seconds, and it won't cost you a red cent, as the Americans say. In fact, being a subscriber to this podcast is so exciting, it'll make your heart flutter like you've been mainlining vodka and Red Bull all evening. Don't say that. You'll put people off. (laughs) Thank you, everybody, for listening today. We hope you have an excellent week without any heart palpitations. And we look forward to seeing you next time on School Behaviour Secrets. Bye for now. Bye. Bye.